I can't do it. Okay, so it looks like we're live. Nick, how are you been doing? Very well, David. Very well. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for keeping in touch. Although uh, sporadically, we haven't talked maybe in what a few months or a year since yeah, COVID. Yeah, I'd say I'd say since uh, since COVID. I think this is what our our sixth installment with you, fifth or sixth. Yeah, you've definitely show. done uh, interview one, two, three, four, five. So this will be six. Yeah. Yeah, and the last time I talked to Matt, I think was was also before COVID too. Oh, okay. You're not in touch with him by text messaging and all that. We are, but it's so sporadic. Um, things kind of dropped off several months ago, and uh, but now that I'm back on your show, hopefully he sees it and yeah, uh, and we, we get back in touch again. Yeah, we keep in touch very sporadically, but lately, since uh, like I took a whole year off the podcast, I came back in February and uh, got back in touch with uh, Matthew and had him on the show. Uh, you can watch that, but um. He's the same old guy, real sweet, lovable guy, but going through some challenges like uh, we all do from time to time. But he's gone through some rough stuff. But uh, I'm happy. I'm happy he's uh, sort of dabbled in the dark side and come back to God. And uh, it's it's always a come here, go away kind of relationship with God, you know, like uh, cat and mouse. Who's the cat? Who's the mouse? <laughs> but uh, yeah. It is, and and somebody such as himself, and and I know myself, we we can't let it go for long. Yeah, so we can try. You told me you're involved. Uh, you moved to Florida. You're involved in filmmaking for a religious organization of some sort. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, I moved from Michigan to Atlanta to Florida, um, and all within the last year and a half <clears throat> and now I'm living in Vero Beach Florida so that's east coast about halfway down the state so it's warm and, and sunny and beautiful all the time and I appreciate that um, and it was a fluke that I even found this this job but now I work flowing streams is the church the main uh, program is called true news which I don't I don't know it's it's decently well known um, and I work alongside a, a gentleman named Matthew, and he and I are working on a documentary called The Greatest Reset. And it is the counter move to what the globalists are doing right now. Uh, the Greatest Reset is a play on The Great Reset, which is what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and everybody uh, is overtly pushing the greatest reset being the second coming of Christ. Ah. So we're interviewing all sorts of smart people and uh, traveling around the world. We're trying to go to Canada where we can't get in and y'all can't get out. <laughs> but there's a handful of people that we'd love to, to head up, um, a couple of doctors and personalities and pastors. So Any household names? You might know Dr. Roger Hodkinson, uh, Pastor Coates, I mentioned to you as well. And then another church just got uh, an eight foot high chain link fence put around it uh -huh. in Manitoba, I think. Okay. Um, and so we're itching to go up and, and film all this and interview people, interview the, the Canadian police and the... Um, parishioners just to kind of they're there it's it's really mind-blowing to me that they've taken to the point where they that they will actually prevent you from attending a, a church it's unbelievable yeah when i was uh going through sort of a, a dark time during the first year of covid i was watching a lot of alternative media on uh bit shoot which wasn't probably a good idea but um there i discovered rebel news which is sort of a montreal born and bred uh, news source alternative i guess it's yes. right wing i'm not sure but uh, i enjoyed the coverage i mean it's it's jabbing at the left left all the time and uh exposing 
the hypocrisy of the ways, the different ways that governments are dealing with this so-called pandemic, whatever it is. And uh, I'm not denying there's a pandemic. I'm just saying that's what they're calling it. I don't know what it is, but um, just poking fun at the, the hypocrisy. And uh, I have sympathy for politicians because they're just trying to muddle through and do their job. And I think a lot of them have, uh, you know, good intentions for the most part, whatever, mixed, mixed motives. But they're impotent like the rest of us, you know, uh, it's, it's a crappy job, I think, to be a politician. I think it's a really crappy job. And uh, it, a good day is when your ego gets stroked. A bad day is when you get exposed for being a hypocrite. That's basically your life. <laughs> or a pedophile. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rebel News might be someone you could partner with because they're really, really interested in exposing uh, corruption in the government of Canada and stuff like that and hypocrisy and... Uh, pointing out to stuff that you'd find interesting, but they also covered the uh, mandatory quarantine hotels, prison things that they set up, the government of Canada set up and yeah. un uncovered that I, I didn't, I didn't follow all the stats, but at least one of them, one of these hotels ironically was owned by China. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that was not good. Whoops. How did that happen? But uh, I don't, I don't buy it. I, you know, I take conspiracy theories with a grain of salt. And when someone has an axe to grind with the left, I take their right wing media stuff with a grain of salt. And uh, of course, we all know the, the left wing controls the media anyway. So I take everything in the mainstream media with a huge grain of salt. But they're pretty overt with their agenda. You know, like they just want to destroy the family. They want to just destroy uh, anything that's meaningful for uh, for a Christian, basically. Uh, intimacy, marriage, the family, uh, destroy babies in the womb, destroy the elderly, whatever. Like their agendas, open. It's an open secret what they're after. They want. Yeah. They want license to have pleasure at any expense, and uh, no responsibility, no no consequences for their actions. It's a very broad brush I'm painting, but that's. I think uh, it's largely true. Are you familiar with Timothy Gordon or Patrick Coffin? Yeah, yeah. You know both of them. Yeah, I I do sort of avoid uh, Catholic media because uh, as soon as I start to like someone, I find out that they hate Pope Francis, and then I'm just annoyed, <laughs> very annoyed. <laughs> I just I just got back from Mississippi interviewing Timothy Gordon. No way. Okay. And he and, and he spoke uh, at length about the the assault on the family. Yeah. And. Um, and that the the family is the cell of society and uh, he's got six beautiful children and a beautiful wife and land and uh and really is manifesting what he professes which is rare to find um, yeah. so i appreciate that a lot um and then in a couple of weeks we'll be in um los angeles and then and then we'll interview patrick there so yeah, I've always liked Patrick Coffin. I've just heard sort of indirectly that he started to go a little bit more right-wing conservative, whatever. And when I hear about a Catholic going to the right, it just scares the hell out of me because that means they usually end up bashing the Pope, and that's just a no-go for me. But yeah. uh, it's cool. It's cool to, that you are that you're in touch with these people, very uh, influential Catholic people and uh, household names and. Uh, for the most well, part, it was my first, it was my first uh, re immersion into what a Catholic home was uh -huh. and the dialogue since you and I had spoken last. Um, uh -huh. You know, we walked in and the smell of incense uh -huh. wafted over me, and uh -huh. there was beautiful iconography on the walls. Uh -huh. wow. And, you know, when they ate lunch, they said, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. And it was just, it took me right back. Uh -huh. um, and it was very edifying. And, and since the last time we've talked, um, I think I've always been an, uh, a curious person, but it's taken years of humbling to become honestly open-minded. But I think I can honestly say now that I'm open-minded. <laughs> it's quite incredible for someone your age. You mentioned you're uh, in your early 20s, so you're way ahead of your uh, age, I think. 
because usually uh, you gotta you've got to develop the sophistication to balance all the stuff you encounter all the data that you're gathering in the world but you're someone that's always gathered a lot of data so uh, you obviously process it you digest it i know you struggle with a lot of it existentially and stuff we've talked about that but uh that's uh, that's the path to wisdom, you know, just exposing yourself to a lot of data in the world and processing it boldly. Yeah. So I, th I congratulate you for that. And how do you, how are you with your people of your age group? Are you comfortable, you find stuff to talk about with them or do you find a lot of them are just on their cell phones and not really digging as deep as you think they might or what? I spend most of my time not among my age group um, because of my work and I don't have a social life. My social life is, it just doesn't exist. Um, and if it does, it's, it's people at work and they are all, I'd say thirties to sixties. Um, but I have a couple of friends in my age group with whom I have these sorts of conversations, they're incredibly thoughtful and it's, it's fruitful conversations. And then I'd say the vast majority, about 70% of my peers could not care less. Um, it doesn't seem to matter what bit of information I, I share with them about the state of the world. Um, they believe that the world is as it has been presented to us. And I would say that they're largely uncurious about theology, philosophy, conspiracy, whatever it might be. Um, and it's a real bummer because I try and produce emotion from them. Like, hey, have you seen this? Or, or what do you think about this? Because, you know, as, as 22, we're Gen Z. Uh, the world is categorically different for us than it was, you know, for our parents. And man, they're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I see you got the deck of cards. Are you still doing your magic tricks? Oh, yeah. These never leave my hands. <laughs> nice. Can you throw up something on the screen for us? Or is that too much pressure? Uh, no, I could do something for you here. Just. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> You're always playing with the cards. Do you get gigs with that? Uh, I used to, um, now it's, I mean, it, it just quiets my mind. It focuses my, my thoughts to have my hands doing something. So I'm, I'm just always shuffling. That's cool. Yeah. Better than those spinners that people <laughs> fidget with. <laughs> yes. Those are infuriating. <laughs> so, uh, what, uh, just to briefly segue into the family, what do your parents think of your ongoing uh, search for truth? Do they comment? Do they offer support or guidance? Or are they curious what you're up to or what? The subject of religion, the meaningful part of, of that conversation has been uncomfortable and largely unplumbed since I left the church. Um, I can talk about religion as a subject, like factually, isn't this interesting, this historical bit of data or what's happening with the church or whatever. They are always supportive of my investigation into anything, um, but they're at such different places. Like my dad, especially is just in a, in a fundamentally different state of mind than I am that they'll listen, but they're not chasing, you know, they aren't sure. um, pushing or being like, you need to read this book. You need to talk to this person or whatever. Uh, I do know with certitude that my mother prays for me endlessly. I know mm -hmm. that <laughs> um, she is uh, St. Augustine's mother. Ah, St. Monica. St. Monica. <clears throat> so, you know, what that makes you the right. <laughs> yes and i will happily take that 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 yeah. mantle yeah yeah he was um, a late he was a late convert relatively late in his life so yeah i think i'm in the not yet part of that prayer that he yeah. said <laughs> <laughs> interesting so what about 
peer pressure, if you want to call it that, from your uh, supervisor, your boss, your colleagues at work, because it's a Christian environment. Now that is the crucible. Yeah. So my co-director, Matt, is everyone there is Protestant. And uh, they say Orthodox Protestant, but they use the word Orthodox to just mean like original as opposed to like the Eastern Orthodox use the word. Um, as Protestants, they know the Bible intimately. And I'd say every day or every other day, there is a, a skirmish of some kind of the minds with one or more members. Every morning there's Bible study. You know, we've been working our way through John uh, leading up to Passion Week and so on. And uh, yeah, it's just... It is a crucible and it's forcing me to remain humble and open-minded and really consider things. I mean, in, in since I started the prodigal, it was an exercise in paying attention to the part of me that was aware of denying my attention to things that I found compelling. And that has allowed me to <laughs> inch by inch by inch, just start to, consider information um i pray very often now like wait like shockingly often nice um and even though it's still wildly uncomfortable and i don't have the words it's just something that i'm i'm like yeah i'll just do it sure like what do i have to lose you know yeah cool very cool What's your favorite uh, spontaneous prayer? Is it love, Thanksgiving, questions? Is it uh, God, reveal yourself to me or what is it? <laughs> I think it's um, God of mercy on me, a sinner. Lord of mercy on me, a sinner. Oh. Lord, cleanse me of my sins and have mercy on nice. me for I've sinned without number. Wow. Nice. Um, and if not that, then just sort of a a background conversation of, uh, you know, this is something I went through when I was, when I was Catholic and I see myself going through it again. And it's so difficult to parse out is the entity that I'm conversing with of my own creation. Is it, is it just this part of my brain talking to this <laughs> part of my brain or is there something out there? And, um, you know, I, I do believe in a, in a God and I believe in a Thomistic God. Um, I believe in Aristotelian God. Uh, I'm not entirely certain about the whole personalism side of the theism uh, or whether he wrote books or had a son. The Shroud of Turin blows my mind. I don't understand that. Like, there is something, and it's not just the new agey, we're all connected, man. Like, there is, there, there must be a being whose essence is existence itself, who has the qualities of, that, that Thomas described and uh, upon whose existence ours is dependent. Um, and I think from there you can derive many meaningful, irrefutable aspects of God, you know, goodness, uh, justice, logic, perhaps even personalism. I, I just haven't, you know, sorted that one out yet. And I think you can also derive morality from from these truths as well. Uh, yeah. I would direct you, just gently guide you to focus on the will. Like you have a will. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you are an agent, you're a moral agent because you have a will. So if you start just thinking about God, do you want anything, God? Do you desire anything, God? Do you get what you desire? Do you always get what you desire? Um, if you start focusing on God's will, you're soon going to be at that crossroads, like, yes, God is personal, or you may go deist, but uh, I'm pretty sure if you realize that your will has a source, uh, you will start attributing will to the source, and then you've got a personal God. Can you walk me through that one more time? You have a will. Yes. And an effect cannot be more perfect than its cause, and you are caused by God, and God, therefore as a will, not only a will, but a will that is infinitely perfect, just like every one of his attributes and perfections are infinite. So contemplate that, chew on that for the next couple of years, and I'm sure you'll be 
right in line with the monotheism because uh to have an an entity with a will a supreme entity with a will my behavior would then matter in relation to it is that what you're saying well i'm saying it makes him personal because he he makes choices and he ah uh, it, that's what that's that's what it is to be a person like your dog as cute as your dog is it's not a person because it, it doesn't have a free will right so how do you get to whether or not that entity converses well i mean i i see i see i see god's communication as so sophisticated that we we're bumping into it all the time without recognizing it for example I was just reading uh, St. Alphonsus Liguri uh, last night and a beautiful, beautiful uh, moral theologian, among other things, and a saint and a doctor of the church. But he was talking about the way that the flowers spoke to the saints. He was recounting other saints. He wasn't talking about himself as a saint. He was recounting stories of the great saints, St. Teresa and uh, St. Catherine of Siena, all these great saints who have use this imagery of walking through a beautiful pastoral scene in the springtime or in the summer and the beautiful flowers reproaching the saint saying uh you know reproaching the saint by drawing attention to the fact that god is good god created all of this for us and how uh, eloquently nature speaks the book the book of nature you know, you've heard this term before, the God is speaking to us through the book of nature very, very powerfully. If you're a sensitive soul like St. Francis of Assisi, for example, you'll see in the animals, in the birds, in the flora and fauna, you'll see the communications of God. And a lot of that, it comes, becomes very humbling because all of creation is singing out uh, the praises of God in a certain sense, in a poetic sense. And uh, when you witness the beauty and the innocence of a simple little flower it creates a contrast with your own sinfulness and i'm very happy that you are drawn to those prayers of contrition and repentance because that's very very powerful it's that's at the heart of christianity is recognizing i'm nothing god is everything and without god's help this is what i do i'm selfish i'm lazy i'm greedy i'm horny i'm i'm indulging in uh, lust and greed and everything else so having that contrition and that repentance is not a dark thing. It's a very beautiful and wonderful light thing because it makes you realize that you don't want to be left to your own devices. You want to do God's will. You want to pursue the good, the highest good, and God is that highest good. So um, the way that nature speaks to us, the way that creation speaks to us is through its order, its beauty, its goodness, its ontological goodness. Even if there's a polluted river, you know that the source of the, the evil that's polluting this river is not God. The source is sin. It's the uh, original sin, actual sin. Anything that strayed in creation, willfully strayed from God's will, that's what caused evil. That's what involved evil in creation. It wasn't the river that made a bad choice. It was... Uh, a spirit in the form of Satan and his followers or Adam and Eve and their progeny. So two thoughts from that. The first being um, the purest form of worship I think I've ever had was when I was in the ocean uh, shortly after I moved to Florida. And I, I just looked out at the, the sky touching the water and I'm in the ocean and it was one of the most wordless worships I've ever had. I wasn't just narrating prayers in my head. It was just a status of awe at the entity that I knew was responsible for this. Uh, so I can very much relate with what you were sharing about flowers in the, in the book of nature. And I think two years ago, the, that argument fell on deaf ears, very mm -hmm. deaf ears for me. Mm -hmm. You know, a Christian would say, well, just look around you. Like, can't you tell God exists? I'm like, you're a moron, you know, because Daniel Dennett told me about evolution. So mm -hmm. you're dumb, <laughs> you know, <laughs> genetics, bro. And uh, it's been a it's been a multi-year process of pulling myself out of the matrix mm -hmm. of 
just terrible ideas and bad ways of thinking and man like thought worldviews are feedback loops and if you get the wrong one you'll find yourself in a very loud room of <laughs> all of the worst ideas and i spent a lot of time there um so that was that was the first thought that i had and then the second was um you bring up the fall and this is something i'm struggling with i've been for a long time and that is that i don't understand genesis 3 whatsoever uh the the idea that the seraph the throne guardian which is also lucifer was able to deceive perfect beings who were in perfect unity with god and that they willfully chose to do not god's will and that they were culpable yet they had not yet been made knowledgeable with the with the tree of which they ate um that whole paradigm confuses the hell out of me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well it's if you want to think of it as um a point of um unstable equilibrium so you know when you have a bowl and you put a, a ball bearing in the bowl it's just going to settle to the bottom and stay there but if you invert that bowl if it's not a flat bottom bowl, but if it's a rounded bottom bowl, if you invert that bowl and you put that same ball bearing on top, suddenly there's only one spot where it can rest and anywhere else, even the slightest movement, it's just going to fall. So that's the way God set it up. And all the atheists will say, well, that's cruel to set things up that way. But that's just the nature of human nature because we're finite and the nature of God. He's infinitely perfect. So. He cannot create another God. So he had to, if he's going to create anything, it's going to be not God. It's going to be finite. It's going to be uh, radically different from him in many important ways, including this equilibrium, this uh, unstable equilibrium that is built into his creation. Now he could, they, they did have grace, so they could have maintained that position, but it's just a question. It's, it's inevitable. It's inevitable that we're going to, say basically i've got this like um it's like if you're if you end up having a child or if you have a niece or nephew that's young you can go in the kitchen and you can say okay we're going to make uh, a cake and the child might in his hubris or out of uh, his enthusiasm think i've got this i can do this and then make a mess of the cake right and you can say well there's no ill will there but i'm trying to just isolate the component of why and how Adam and Eve were able to go astray. It's mm. because there's so many ways for us to say, I've got this. I can, I can take control. I can decide what's good and evil. I can, I can uh, be like God basically. And uh, be, because you have, you've been given, you've been given by God, this God-like life, God-like beauty, God-like health, a God-like, uh, wisdom and and love and you've got all this godlike stuff so it's i think inevitable that a finite creature endowed with these godlike attributes even though they're limit, limited in a finite participation in god's goodness and his attributes even though it's finite and limited just the fact that we have that will i think lend itself very naturally to that sort of impulse that any child would have or any human would have where it's like yeah i got this i can do this let me take the wheel. And then, and then of course, 2000 years later, we have a country or well, however many thousands of years later, we have country singers saying, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, we realized I don't have this, you know, I'm not equipped <laughs> you know, to drive this and uh, we're driving it into the ground. I think uh, COVID-19 is a good example of how we've driven things into the ground. Let me ask you this. So there were actually two falls in the Bible. Obviously you had the fall of Satan. Satan, Lucifer, he took with him a third of the angels. Uh, and then you had Adam and Eve. But so my conception of evil is that which perverts reality, that which is not God, right? Is a privation of God or a, a perversion of uh, things that are good. <clears throat> and then, um, 
in order to pursue or choose evil, you have to orient your will away from that which you know to be good and toward evil. When I think about the fall of the angels, you have beings with perfect intellect uh, who are created in the image of God and are in the presence of God. They can see him, right? Especially the seraphim, the throne guardians of which Lucifer was. My confusion comes in toward what did Lucifer orient himself toward? Himself. Because if... he, he's participating in God's uh, attributes to a limited and finite extent, but he sees that. The, the image that comes to mind is cocaine. It's like, you know, you think you're smart. You think you're... I've never done cocaine, but this is what I hear, is that you think that you're all that. And you think that you're the most clever pickup artist in the bar because you're on that cocaine. So I'm not saying that God's uh, goodness and his perfections that he allowed his creatures to participate in is an illicit drug and it's going to destroy your body and all that sort of thing. No, God is the source of everything that's good, including health. So he made us healthy and perfect. He made Satan healthy and perfect. But that free will is uh, by the way this is called the mystery of iniquity it's not it's never been adequately explained by anyone even the most genius theologians right or saints makes me feel a lot better yeah it's the it's the deepest and darkest mystery and i don't expect to ever understand it even in all eternity when i'm in heaven god willing if if we make it there but uh it is humbling to contemplate it it's frightening to contemplate it because how can someone so good fall so far and uh you know the fall of the best is the worst and uh, that's a Catholic maxim. So that's why a lot of saints suggested that popes and priests run a great risk of, of ending up in hell and that many of them do end up in hell. God forbid, I hope that's not the case, but that was the uh, intuition of a lot of the saints. Just because of that, the, the elevation that they were given, the sort of privileged position that they had, the responsibility, and with great power comes responsibility, great responsibility. Interesting. So his orientation was was inward as opposed to as opposed to outward. Um, That's my take. But I mean, I don't. I've never. I've. I've never encountered uh, an explanation of the, the fall of Satan other than, pride. Like it was just the pride, and also another thing that the saints, the Catholic saints, emphasize is the envy, which the pride allowed him to fall into envy with respect to creatures that were lower much lower than this beautiful seraphim the human creatures in in particular the humble 14 year old virgin in some backwater village in the middle east somewhere when she was given this great privilege of the immaculate conception that she was given a special grace preventing her from being contaminated with original sin so there's this idea that uh satan was allowed to see not only the creation of humanity, but he was allowed to see the, in some uh, amount of clarity, I'm not sure the amount of detail that Satan was given before the fall when he was being tested, he and the angels being tested, but there were some, some of the saints talk about the fact that there were, they were given a vision of humanity and the role of humanity in the incarnation. And this is coming from a Franciscan school that believes that the incarnation would have taken place with or without the fall. So this is a Franciscan approach that I'm telling you about. The Thomistic school says that uh, the incarnation is dependent, I think, on the fall, whereas the Franciscans firmly teach that it's not dependent on the, on the fall at all. So I tend to sympathize more with the Franciscans on many issues. Um, and if you want to look into them as a sort of alternative to complete and sort of complement your Thomistic interests, you could go to Blessed John Duns Scotus, one of my favorites. You could go to St. Bonaventure, who is a great saint, but which I, I find him very difficult to read. Uh, Blessed John Duns Scotus is also difficult to read. Um, but uh, you also have, uh, you know, you've got other saints in the, in the Franciscan tradition that you could read. And uh, you could read St. Francis himself, St. Francis of Assisi. So three, three thoughts came from that. Uh, the first being that, yes, it is interesting, the, the emphasis on envy. Um, 
and that Satan tried to inspire that same envy in Adam and Eve by saying, you know, it's not that you'll die. It's that God doesn't want you to become like God. And that's interesting. The second uh, conundrum that I've run across recently with the fall is the some this peculiar uh, difficulty or tension or uh, not tension opposition between knowing more and being more moral that they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and by growing in knowledge they lowered in in morality that's not the way no that's can you resolve that for me there's no there's no correlation there the fall happened before they touched or tasted the fruit the fall happened before that so it's it's when they decided to dis, disobey God. That's when the fall happened. The knowledge they got is a direct consequence of the evil act of the will, the evil choice that they made. The knowledge is just like when you make a mistake and you go, oh, I made a boo-boo. That's the knowledge. It's not a great knowledge. It's not like, wow, I've increased in wisdom. Well, you know, you sort of learn from your mistakes, but what a horrible way to gain wisdom. What a horrible, horrible way to gain wisdom. And they would have been more wise to not have fallen. But like I said, it was inevitable and God knew it was inevitable. So it's, it's almost not so much. It didn't matter what the tree was. The, yeah. the, the, it was the command. The tree was named that because God knew that they would regret their decision as soon as they made the decision. <laughs> that... The tree, the tree of, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, you know? Interesting. Um, and then the the last thought that I had, that I struggle to be able to assist believers in taking a step out of the, of the space of belief and observing Christianity as a, as a narrative, as a story. And it's not a pejorative. That is not an insult, but it is a story. And what's... What stories do is they tell you things about the characters and they tell you things about the authors. When you read Lord of the Rings, you learn beautiful things about the world of Middle Earth and, and Bilbo and Gandalf and so on. And you also learn about J.R.R. Tolkien. And something that I've come to realize is that if we assume Christianity is true, it is one of the most mind-blowing descriptions of reality that you have because it informs you about God, what he's like, what he's like in that he would create a thing like us that he finds it interesting to do it in this exact way that he's almost bounded by the attributes of what he's created. Like, not to put bounds on God, but the fact that he created something like this does sort of yeah. sequester adjectives that you can. Yeah. He place did on this. Him. He did this. He did this specifically. Yeah. He has a son and he cares in a way about us in such that he would allow torture. Right. And, and when I started to look at Christianity through that way, and just again, assuming that it was true. It's intimidating how informative it is about reality. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to cope with that, and that's a sort of meditation. I think that's an advanced contemplation. So if you're meeting Joe Blow Christians like me, uh, we can smile along with you, but to actually go on the journey is it's a bit too intense, right? So that would be that would be a a very rare moment of clarity to go there with you, and yeah. uh, I can toy with the idea, but I know that it's like um, you talked about leaving the, the matrix or whatever. It's kind of like that, that sort of thing. It just pulls you out of your comfort zone. And so yeah. I'm, I'm sort of going to speak in defense of the, uh, the average Christian, because it's just, it's hard to get, it's hard to go to work in the morning if you're <laughs> connected to, to reality and you're actually exposed like a raw nerve, the way Jesus and the saints were. So until we're saints, you're not going to see us connecting that way. Okay. Mm. So give us a break and pray for us. And uh, that's it. Maybe you're the one, maybe you're the Pied Piper. 
yeah, who knows? And I also think that the it's not entirely organic that it's hard to get there, that it's hard to think about those things. I think it is a lot of, a product of socialization and and in media complacency. And it's complacency. complacency, trauma, neurosis. Yeah. Lots being injected into us that prevent us from actually having that appreciation yeah. because, you know, modern day uh, new age atheism just looks at religions and, and, and just laughs. It's just a joke. It's like, yeah. how could somebody ever have this idea pop into their head and then it stick? <laughs> and they're so disconnected from the fact that, like, again, if we assume it's real, it's because there was a a visceral experience of... <laughs> of the life of Jesus or of pillars of clouds and pharaohs and rivers of blood and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, wow. and now it's like, oh, wow, that's a cool plot for a movie. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's the only way that we can connect with something fantastical is is, is a screen. Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, I've been watching some real crime uh, TV shows with my wife just because it's interesting psychologically. And it's humbling to see what we're capable as humans. And I, I mm -hmm. always am very, very quick to connect and sympathize with not, not the victim, but with the perpetrators of the most horrible crimes, because I know that I'm capable of that and much worse. Like I'm a very sick person. So I've never actually done anything too horrible, uh, you know, compared with them on these, on the show, I wouldn't make a good candidate for an episode, but, uh, when you when you're a nice housewife and married for 30 years and you find out that your husband has been molesting your kids for the past 15 years you 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 need to be almost heroic in your virtue and in your sobriety and your sentience and your self-awareness to process that period just to process mm -hmm. it and it's usually i think it takes years to really process what does that mean and uh what is reality because my reality is shattered now this man that i thought i knew i didn't know him and i'm using an innocent woman with uh, an evil man because that's usually what happens in these stories but there are occasionally women that act weird too but it's usually a man because the man is driven by his passions he wants to fulfill his lusts uh, usually with prostitutes or young children, whatever it is that he's lusting after, the the marginal or the vulnerable, right? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's shocking and horrifying. That's an example of a reality check that's hard to take because it's so horrible. But with Christianity, it's wonderful and weird, but good. Like, it's, it's, it's wonderfully good. And even, even the passion, death, and resurrection of our lord obviously the resurrection is good but the, even the passion and torture and death of our lord is a wonderful good because when you understand uh what it means for us you know and so to wake up to that reality the goodness of that even when paradoxically it looks so horrible uh if you just read the old testament i'm horrified by the old testament most of it most of it and uh what i'm not horrified by i'm bored and befuddled by <laughs> except for things like genesis and you know sure. there are a lot of there are a lot of uh you know colorful parts in certain books i love the 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 tale of jonah and the whale you know lots of colorful parts that i do enjoy and i do think that i somewhat understand but for the most part if it's battles and uh shifting alliances and all that sort of stuff it just bores me or if people are being hypocr hypocritical and disgusting it just disgusts me so yes hard to hard to have a clear understanding of it and then integrate it and then enter into that world and say yes i'm a christian and i'm like aware of all that i know how it all fits together i know how it all works it all makes sense i'm comfortable with all of it uh i've never met anyone that's comfortable with all of it or that understands all of it and i'm certainly not there yet i think that there are many paths to get to christianity as a resolute worldview and that if you can draw a line from the present, you in the present moment through a set of like five or 10 immutable truths. Um, and actually, believe it or not, Rand helped me do this. Ayn Rand. Oh. Um, 
she put into narrative the Aristotelian and Thomistic truths of the identity principle A equals A, that you exist, that existence exists, and uh, that the mere fact of you recognizing those means that you have a consciousness that is rational enough to not make a mistake on at least to those things. Mm. Doesn't mean you're all knowing or that you can't be fallible in other ways, but it couldn't be the case that you were wrong about any of those other things because it's yeah. logically incoherent. And then, so like, okay, if you have that foundation and then you, you start at the top with something like uh, the shroud of Turin, or, you know, the resurrection or, you know, any number of inroads to Christianity, then you can kind of just draw, draw a line of tension yeah. between the two and you don't have to answer for yeah. the other 99% <laughs> because you can't be shaken from that. Yeah. 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 That's so, a cool approach. That's a very cool approach. That's basically my approach. I've got like a handful of principles I cling to. And then the rest is just like, well, I, you know, uh, if I am wrong, you know, I mean, I, there are certain things that I cannot be wrong about. And yeah. quite frankly, they're sufficient for me. Like I've got God, no matter what I've got, I've got mm -hmm. the laws of thought, no matter what non-contradiction. I've got the fact that I exist no matter what I've got all these things. And it's like, you know, the, the most anyone could ever tear me down to would be monotheism, right? Mm -hmm. a generic monotheism that's the that's as far down as you can go because after that it's just you're going to be contradicting yourself if you try to if you try to attack my base my base is monotheism yeah. you can't attack it so uh i mean even if you want to go for solipsism i've got i've got a way out of that like i mean it would be supremely ironic for someone else to be accusing me of of solipsism being true <laughs> in the first place so you can have fun with that but right. um no, it's just like my, my foundation is so rock solid. And uh, the, the thing about Christianity is that people need to realize that there is faith involved. There are faith-based beliefs involved. When I phoned the atheist experience like three, four or five years ago, whatever it was, I talked to Matt Dillahunty and his guest co-host. And I wanted to talk about the principle of sufficient reason. I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about the laws of thought. I wanted to talk about philosophy, the philosophical basis for monotheism. And he was just too unable and or unwilling to talk about those issues and just immediately went to the faith-based based beliefs. And I, I reminded him, like I went with him, but I said, look, this is not what I'm calling about. I'm calling about philosophy, non-faith-based beliefs. But if you really insist, because you're pushing me towards the faith-based beliefs, yeah, I'll talk about it. But just bear in mind, that's not why I called you. That's not what I right. want to talk about. I want to pressure you to confront your unquestioned and absurd philosophical assumptions, but he was really not comfortable with that. Do you mind giving me a, a 5,000 foot overview on PSR? Just whatever happens, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for it, period. Oh. Whatever, every effect has a cause, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, there are no exceptions like, uh, this is one of the basic principles, the principle of sufficient reason. And uh, another principle that took me uh, firmly into young earth creationism, for lack of a better word, is the principle of proportionate causality, which is the one I cited to you earlier, that an effect cannot be more perfect or greater than its cause. Mm. Mm. So uh, all your evolution theories are out the window, right? With that, right? Just that. But... Uh, yeah, I, I dispensed with evolution about a year ago, I think. And that was very useful to getting to a place where I could play with a lot more interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, because the... Because you're the no field, longer a monkey. Not only am I no longer a mon <laughs> monkey, but the, the, the discussion around evolution is really just a, a an intellectual circle jerk. It's gross. Yeah. It's... They're finding as many ways as they can to reduce uh, mind to the mindless and then cause, you know, cause mind. But they don't, especially people like Daniel Dennett, who, who will, his theory of consciousness is that it's a good magic trick that mm -hmm. fools itself somehow. 
mm-hmm. and we're aware of being fooled. It's yeah. But uh, the I'm not aware of sufficient uh, principle of sufficient the, reason. No, the second one, the proportionate causality, proportionate causality, but learning that you can't give what you don't have. That's a nice way to think about it. You can't give okay. what you don't have. And so I even got to the point when um, I think it was the second to last episode that I did on my podcast uh, last year, I talked to Wal Thornhill, who was the um, sort of creator of the electric universe cosmology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And months after I kept talking to him and I really, I just kind of came to the conclusion when uh, EU electric universe refuted big bang. It refuted redshift. It refuted quantum physics. It refuted yeah. the expansion of the universe of yeah. black holes. And I was like, hang on a second. The second <laughs> law of thermodynamics is not true. <laughs> the law that every scientist will laugh at you if you even question <laughs> that the universe is trending toward disorder and entropy yeah. that fundamentally cannot be true. Just looking around. And as, and as a result of that, I was like, okay, no matter how big the universe is, it is, there is a constant injection of energy. And that got me to the Thomistic idea that there must be a being whose essence is existence itself, period, full stop. Mm. You can't give what you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you now with the EU stuff? I, I find it utterly compelling. Okay, you're still in uh, it? Yeah, yeah. And and I do think it gets you to a younger Earth. Okay. Um, 100,000 years-ish. Planetary okay. formation can be very rapid. Okay. Um, I, and I think it also gets you to the formation of life very rapidly because okay. the, the understanding is that um, consciousness is sort of like music notes. Yeah. And so if God speaks... Resonates. Matter matter actually forms to the resonance of it yeah well you just think about the trinity you think about the breath of god being his spirit and the Mm. the word like coming out of his mouth is the sun right so the breath Mm. carries that word and that word is Mm. resonating it's just like it's very uh it's a very mundane image that we're all familiar with speaking a word and that idea of a word being like an image in a mirror, they there is no there is no separation. Like you, when you have a concept, the concept doesn't evolve. The concept is immediate. It's an immediate thing that's generated. And the same thing with uh, with the second person of the Holy Trinity. It, there's no development. It's he's co-eternal with the Father. That's what I'm basically getting at here. There's a there's a co-eternality in each of the members of the Trinity, but we put the Father as the source through mm-hmm. attri- through attribution, just like we give different attributions to. We give attribution to the Son for redeeming mankind, but nothing that's done outside of the Trinity is done by only one or two of the persons they're all done by all three persons so god the father god the son and the holy spirit all redeemed us but it's only god the son that incarnated and uh you know so it's it's interesting thinking about the analogies and that's all they are is analogies that we're we're trying we're trying to poetically describe the trinity and we're never going to understand it but that idea of the word and the breath of god uh, it's a, it's a very powerful image, and that's why it's used by a lot of the saints. Well, in the beginning of John, is a bit of a mind bender because they there you get Christ as the logos incarnate. Well, yeah, multifaceted word. Multifaceted word. You know, it, it is. It's 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 even emotional to me now because of how much more I understand it. Like the idea uh-huh. that, um, cause I've fallen in love with logic. And I think that's one of the ways that you can fall in love with God is if yeah. you fall in love with logic and you Rand has a great part in Atlas shrug where, uh, where John Galt 
basically just re rejoices and, and, and smiles to himself because the world is coherent. It's logical mm. and things happened in a way that were understandable. And when you realize that that is a beautiful thing, mm. what Rand didn't realize is that is worship of God. Mm -hmm. And that's because she's an atheist, but I realized that. And so when you, when you think about logos, okay, the, the speech of God is, is inherently logical. And then the sun is logos incarnate, right? Made flesh and then dwelt among us just to gets you so much further than the, the, the platitudes and the stories that were tossed around. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that uh, I came to Christ and to God himself, God the Father, primarily and chronologically. Uh, through my love of philosophy, my and philosophy, of course, is the love of uh, wisdom, right? Mm. So the love of truth, uh, I mean, nothing is more exciting to me than truth. I mean, it's just so exciting. And logic is sort of a parsing of truth, right? Mm. A consistent parsing of truth. But yeah, when you know that you live in a well-ordered universe, there's nothing more satisfying. And that's why I have a lot of sympathy for the Eastern religions that talk about karma. I mean, it's a very, it's, it's, one of the most important principles in my life is karma, cause and effect. It's one of the most important things. So I have a lot of sympathy for the, the religions of the East. And then not to mention, of course, the whole uh, self and other uh, quandary, you know, they, they really helped me uh, just through sympathetic, uh, having people in the world that are Buddhists and whatever. It helped me. I didn't, yeah. I never became a Buddhist, but it just helps to know there are people out there struggling with that, you know, the existence of the self, the existence of the other, the existence of God, and the the Buddhists sort of put to the side the question of God, but at least they're asking the question about uh, ontology and about existence in a very profound and focused way. And uh, some of their conclusions, obviously, I think are wrong, but uh, that there are people out there struggling with that, I think, is uh, very powerful. And you and I, I think, came to God through philosophy and our love of truth. And to me, uh, that's my way. So I, I, I really, uh, I really admire that way. And I'm attracted to that way. And when I hear someone that comes to Christ through another way, it can be touching. Mm. Uh, but it's not as familiar. It's not as uh, maybe not as um, it doesn't. It, it's it's more other other. It's not as yes. uh, intimately connected to my journey. So yeah, it's easy for me to be condescending. If it isn't, um, if I don't see somebody have sort of the a, a, the, the the base truths, or, right. or even even a defensible thing, yeah, um, and perhaps that's wrong of me. Yeah, yeah, you got You're missing an opportunity to humble yourself in front of some uneducated peasant woman that's got <laughs> faith. Uh, you know, her faith is three hundred times as strong as yours, right? So you gotta <laughs> you gotta humble yourself. <laughs> you gotta humble yourself. It doesn't really matter that she doesn't know from Adam, uh, you know, the principles of philosophy or whatever. It doesn't really right. doesn't matter. It's, I would, I don't know. It's kind of a, in a twilight zone sort of way. I hesitate to even utter the words that I would like to switch places with her. Because bang, I mean, I, 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 I really don't. I don't want to switch places with anyone, frankly. Uh, and I think God made us as individuals and unique uh, persons for that reason. I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to be that uneducated peasant not that i'm highly educated myself but there's a, a different path mm. and di different proclivities and tendencies and and tastes and sort of thing i really want to talk to you again right now i have to go because i promised my wife i wouldn't go past nine o'clock it's 901 can you just leave me and the listeners with uh, a sort of um what should I say, uh, preview to what our next talk will be about some of the things we haven't touched on that we're going to talk about next time, please. Sure. I think it would, it would be us discussing the, the battle that's at hand and what that looks like. Cause it, it does seem that we are like it or not being pulled toward a battlefield. Yeah. And you've chosen the side of good. I'm presuming you're presuming correctly. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's it's that simple, right? You go to the light and uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola said there are two standards. Standard is like the battle flag on two hills. One is Jesus Christ, the lamb, and the other one is Satan and his followers. And sadly, a lot of Satan's followers don't really 
have the clarity because of the choice they made they don't have the clarity that those of us under the standard of christ have and you can see that i think that you in your journey you can sort of already even though you're young even though your your journey is far from over i think you can already sort of taste and see how the lord is good because of the clarity because of the peace because of the joy because yes. of the ability to suffer the ability to humble yourself the ability to be uh have some self-control maybe not perfect self-control but a little bit more than when you're indulging in the dark side so i think you can already taste that right absolutely excellent talking with you nice seeing your face yeah and man. uh we're gonna do this again soon I'll, I'll do it with you uh as early as next weekend if you're up for it sounds good it was great to talk to you again david all right take good care of yourself much love brother God pray bless. for me i love you bye I love you.